0: This is Pause for Thought, a podcast brought to you by Animal Therapies Limited. In November 2014, Wendy Coombe drove to work in Sydney like any other day as a senior manager for a large corporation. That afternoon, with no memory of how she got home, she experienced a complete mental, physical and emotional breakdown. Overnight, her life changed. But out of that trauma, something good has happened. The events of that day led to the formation of a new national health promotion charity that is changing people's lives across Australia for the better. This is Wendy's story. Wendy Coombe, welcome to Pause for Thought today. Thanks very much, Candy. Thanks for having me. So Animal Therapies Limited celebrated its fifth birthday earlier this year. Take us back to the genesis of the charity and why it was formed. Yes, Candy, in
1: November 2014, my life took a dramatic turn and prior to the events of that day, I'd held many senior positions across a number of different sectors. Um, however, I was thrown into this alternative universe that was very foreign to me. I went from a very capable, confident, complex decision maker, high performing executive to what I would describe as forest Gump. My professional life was intrinsically linked to my identity and losing my professional life in that way was also like losing my identity. So I was pretty much rarely able to hold a conversation without stuttering. Needless to say, I deleted my LinkedIn profile and thought my world had pretty much come to an end. I also realized a bit of time later that my professional life had become like a safe place. So I did actually have some pretty traumatic events growing up. And when I lost my safe place, it really made me feel stranded on, on an island because throughout growing up, I found that I just channeled all my energy into studying. And then obviously becoming a young adult, again, channeled all my energy into my career. And it really did make me avoid some trauma that I had. um, And I never really got the right sort of treatment for it. So um, all of a sudden, when you lose that professional life, that really has become your safe place. You realise there's a lot of work you need to do in actually walking the path back to to wellness again. Um, And for me, the only way that I could control the anxiety that I was experiencing was just to continue to walk. And in six months, I walked 2.5 million steps with Jack, my border colleague, by my side. And at that time, my allied health professionals realised that Jack was actually the key to me leaving home because... I wasn't leaving home unless I had him or somebody I trusted by my side. It's funny if I reflect back to that period of time, I was like most Australians. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as an assistance dog. I thought that there was just guide dogs. But it was my doctor that said, look, Wendy, we think, and my psychologist that said, Wendy, we think that Jack is really key for you being able to manage some of the triggers that were um, resulting in panic attacks when I went out into the broader you know, community. Um, so I simply got a doctor's certificate say, saying that Jack was my companion dog for a medical condition that I had. Um, but of course, I um, was regularly confronted and people wouldn't accept that he was had any legal standing in terms of getting out and about. And of course, I didn't have the ability to self-advocate. I would just pretty much melt down and then I'd regress and then I'd be unwell for weeks until I was willing to try going back out again. So it was really only when I moved to um, Queensland and I just didn't feel comfortable doing nothing. I wanted to contribute to society and I wasn't really doing that at all. And I felt that all my life I had contributed to society in some way. So I looked at a couple of different options and um, I searched for a government approved assistance animal trainer, found um, the organisation that eventually accepted me and that was in 2017. And um, then Jack became my assistance dog and I think having the government ID card and that sort of recognition really helped me have more confidence to go out into society and really started that journey back to better health. Um, I also noticed I did start horse riding again. And um, I found that when I was with my horses, I was very present. Um, So if I was with Jack or my horses, I was present. So I think all my research with that experience brought me to pick up the phone and try to find an industry association Mm -hmm. that I could ring and say, can you help me find practitioners that worked alongside animals? I wanted to also really get help for the embodied trauma that um, I had and I knew that equine-assisted counselling would probably be the right path for me in doing that, but I didn't know where to start to look. Then I thought, well, I want to contribute to society. Um, I know that I had experience as a CEO of a not-for-profit organisation. I would also had been the director of a large New South Wales charity working with um, government contracts to provide family relationship counselling. So I thought, well, I've got the experience and the knowledge um, to be able to set up a charity, but I didn't have the emotional resilience to be able to hold meetings. So I still remember Candy in my lounge room sitting down with you and saying, Candy, I need your help (laughs) with your communication background. I uh, recruited wonderful people like you onto the board of directors and you've been an incredibly important part of helping us get the charity to where it is today. And of course, my life partner, Brian Zenker, I asked Brian, I said, Brian, I can't run board meetings and nor can I recruit somebody to report to. <laughs> I said, I need you to be the chairman of the, the charity. And uh, would you be willing to do that? And he very kindly took that on. And that was really a critical you know, support. It, it was almost like he was a support worker for me. We did advise the ACNC of the relationship and we were only ever one voice on the board when it came to voting but that was really important and I do think that it shows how sometimes we have to be flexible don't we in terms of supporting people especially with mental health challenges to be able to walk part the path of success within corporate structures but still with the necessary supports that they've got. Yeah so 21st of February 2018 I walked into my accountant and I asked them to set up Animal Therapy limited and um, if we fast track where we are
0: today we've picked a lot of really great goals. So from a series of really traumatic events this amazing charity was born. What were the charity's overarching goals from the beginning and have they shifted or have they fundamentally remained the same?
1: They have stayed the same, um, they have expanded. Initially we needed people to understand what Constituted the animal assisted services sector. Uh, We needed the general public to understand that it wasn't a bring your pet to work scheme. (laughs) The sector is made up of very highly qualified practitioners that work alongside animals in delivering their scope practice and working with clients that they're actually trained to help. So, you know improving that understanding of what the sector is was a really core part of um, getting out there and and talking at various forums about the sector and how the sector could help and also connecting research you know and facilitate or disseminating research more broadly so people understood that there was also research that underpinned the sector then the other, core goal was to improve the acceptance of animal assisted services as being an ethical and effective pathway for improving many different health conditions and then the other core goal is was was always very important from my perspective was to improve the accessibility and um, of animal assisted services and there was two key ways of doing that one was to build the national directory So now on our um, homepage, we have a national directory of service providers so people can search service providers and it provides transparency over what their qualifications are, whether they've had police background checks, working with children checks, whether they're NDIS registered, Medicare registered. And then the other key part of improving the accessibility of these services was to raise money to pay for some of the most vulnerable and disadvantaged Australians um, in being able to actually get the help they needed, especially you know where they didn't have the money to either pay the Medicare gap or if the service was, for example, counselling or psychotherapy or um, having their dog recognised as an assistance dog to help them better access public places, then um, we needed to raise money to cover the costs
0: So as you've outlined, you've made some, you know, incredible advances in the last five years and just listening to um, those achievements, you know, you've certainly ticked a lot of boxes, but it's not all about just the success, is it? I mean, obviously ATL has a very positive future, but the growth of the sector also comes with its own challenges. Can you discuss those? What do you perceive as being some of the major challenges in the next few years that you've got to overcome? Sure. We have just built a directory
1: of research and one of um, the challenges is to connect, especially some of the funding bodies like the NDIA, DBA, um, various uh, other funding bodies to the research to demonstrate the efficacy of the sector. So one of our priorities is to continue to build the, um, the database of research that's available for people to be able to actually search. So I think that's a really significant. Well, it's 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 a work in progress that we're currently undertaking. Obviously, there's a lot of different modalities and there's a lot of different ways that people look at training animals. So we certainly um, advocate for force-free, positive training methods. The thing that we can definitely rely on happening is change. So the way thing the way people trained animals in the past to the way they train them now, to um, what research is telling us or the science is telling us about the way we should be training um, animals moving forward, I think is is a work in progress also where, you know, we're continuing, we're actually just setting up interest-based committees for that specific reason to really look at that part of the sector as far as um, the animals that they're working with and to really make sure, take a deep dive into our code of conduct and really make sure that, for example, with the assistance animals training, that we're covering off on, you know, best practice. Um, same with working with horses, small animal species, farm animals. So, you know, we, we've got a lot of organisations that assess the suitability of dogs, for example, to work. And obviously we only want animals to work in the sector um, if they want to. It's like <laughs> anybody doing a job, if you're doing a job that stresses you out, then you know that's not good. So we want the animals to be assessed as suitable from a not showing any signs of stress. Um, and also we want them to be suitable for the specific clinical population that they're going to be interacting with to make sure that they're safe to be interacting with that particular you know population so if it's going to be with children that they you know respond favorably with children if they're working with a more aged population to be doing that as well so i think you know the key areas is the really making sure that we have species experts being able to work with the sector around assessing suitability of animals Um, And again, working shoulder to shoulder in a very inclusive
0: way, um, working towards, you know, best practice guidelines. The sector is obviously now very firmly entrenched around the world, albeit with some key differences between countries in respect to definitions, rights and obligations, and even animal training approaches, as you've alluded to. How can Australia carve out its own path while still learning the lessons from international experts?
1: I think we're definitely already carving out our own path, Candy. I was speaking to somebody that we've invited to be a keynote speaker at our next year's 2024 Convention and Career Expo, which we're going bigger and bolder for our, that will be our fifth annual event. And uh, it was interesting because when I was talking to Teresa Um, I was explaining to her that we're a health promotion charity. We're not your standard, you know, industry association. We're not an accreditation body. We are a health promotion charity that raises money to fund uh, people in need. And we're also, you know, delivering that education and um, advocacy and, and working across society more generally to try to really grow the supply chain ethically and professionally in a way that meets the unique demands of Australians, especially geographically because geographically we have some challenges around having the practitioner's within a a reasonable kilometre range for people to get access to. So we know that we have to really work on sort of making sure across the whole value chain that, you know, we're looking at every single touch point of where there's value being added and where there's value being taken away. And, um, you know, Reza said, you know, she doesn't know any other organisation globally doing what we're doing in the sector. So I think that we are—we really are taking a leadership role across the sector globally. Um, we are younger, much younger than the animal-assisted services sector in the States and the UK and even perhaps in, in other parts of the world. Um, so I think we do have, you know, a lot to learn and I think for our values we're all about collaboration and we want to, you know, collaborate and that's why we brought over um professor aubrey fine who's considered to be the father of the sector globally he's academic he's a canine assisted psychologist and he we flew him out from the states february to speak at our 2023 conference and he was also a speaker uh, in 2021 and 2022, virtually because clearly we couldn't have it face to face then. We also had, you know, we brought over a uh, clinical practitioner and trainer over from the states also for the conference. So. Look, we continue to work on a global level to ensure that this sector is more broadly accepted and that we start getting the ears and the attention of, you know, government. And we do feel that that's happening so that the, the sector is accepted as, as as a legitimate pathway to better health.
0: Now, as the founding director of ATL, you have been the linchpin of the organisation since its formation Five years on, how do you see your role changing as the charity continues to develop?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of hard work, Candy, five years of full-time unpaid labour <laughs> but with a passion <laughs> and, um, you know, really rewarding and, you know, I just can't thank everybody that's contributed like yourself um, along the journey to bring it to where it is today today. What we are doing now is we're continuing to bring in fit-for-purpose skills as the charity gets bigger. Clearly, we need a leadership team that grows with the charity and can grow the charity to its potential. So from my point of view, I'd be um, aiming to work less in the charity and and more around the the figurehead and the advocacy getting out. Next month, Brian and I are flying down to speak to 700 people working in um, the insurance industry, life insurance industry, about uh, the role of Animal Assisted Services in helping perhaps some of their claimants and also their employees in terms of supporting mental health. Uh, we're going to uh, the Australian Psychological Medicine Society conference in May to speak to those conference delegates again around um, the role of the animal assisted services sector, especially, you know, for people that have been diagnosed with trauma. Um, oh, look, and other conditions, not just trauma. There's, there's a lot, whole range of different conditions where people can benefit from animal assisted services. So, yeah, I, I see that, you know, the more I can free myself up from the laptop and, um, you know, get out there and speak to groups, the more we
0: can advance our, our vision. So finally, if we can engage in a bit of crystal ball gazing and idealism, what does success look like in 2028 for ATL on its 10th birthday? Well, look,
1: priority number one would be to have an ongoing sustainable funding you know, strategy to be able to meet the the growing needs for mental health, animal-assisted mental health support. I sat down and I looked at, counted every single application we had for animal-assisted support since we've started, and we've had over 300 applications. And we've had some wonderful support from the likes of James Frizzell Charitable Foundation, who's really supported the mental health of people living in the Gold Coast and Northern New South Wales, and boy, hasn't that been important over floods and fires and all sorts of things happening in that those particular regions? You know, we've had Alanco support the mental health of veterinarians through animal assisted mental health support because we know that veterinarians have a higher uh, risk of suicide than than many other sort of industries. You know, we've got priority areas that we've looked at that have higher suicide rates, and I think our ability to support those you know Australians and you know our role is to really become the leading organisation in the prevention and management of mental illness and other health conditions so if we can do more work in preventing mental illness that would be ideal and again if we can have enough funding coming through so that we can you know, approve every single application throughout Australia and also have enough practitioners through regional Australia. Like ag- The agricultural industry has a high rate of suicide and yet, you know, we are very reticent to be looking for funding at this point in time until we can build up the number of animal assisted practitioners, which is part of the reason why 2024 will have a career expo as part of um, our conference and convention. We would love to see more veterans sort of working in the sector. We would love to see more people with lived experience, with disabilities, working in the sector. So, you know, for us, the sky's the limit and continuing to build an inclusive sector that works together shoulder to shoulder in the delivery of services and in the willingness to commit to looking at better ways of doing things would be um, my utopia,
0: Well, Wendy, just speaking personally, it's been a huge privilege watching animal therapies grow from the seed of an idea to a highly successful organisation that it is today. And I know you don't like taking lots of credit, but a lot of that credit is due to you. So congratulations and thank you for joining us on Pause for Thought today.